Good Chodesh, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. We are, today's class is dedicated on the Rufur Shalem of my dear father, David Nachman Ben. Yichavet Shifra. The, uh, we continue, we left off. We are in the fourth chapter of Gitin, page 35a, second line. It says in the Mishnah, that even though we have to administer an oath, if the, woman, if the wife, the widow, wants to collect her ksuva from the estate, so she has to swear to the orphans that uh, the husband didn't pay her already, didn't set aside funds for it, but that they would try, they avoided administering this oath. My time, I think you might ask, why? If you're going to want to say, because of what Rav Kahana said, that Mai said there was an episode once. It was a year of hunger. Famine. He deposited a gold dinner with a widow. And she placed it in a flower jug. Keep it safe, a good hiding place. And forgetting that she put it there, she baked. She baked the bread using the dinner coin was inside. In the loaf of bread. She was very generous and kind. She gave this loaf of bread to a poor person. The yam, a few days later, Bob Baladina, the owner of the dinner, came back. But he said, please give me return to me the dinner. I gave it to you for safekeeping. She said to him, she couldn't find it. She said, So he suspected, listen, you stole them, you stole it from me. You're not returning it to me. So he says, May poison be effective on my children if I benefited anything from your dinner. I, honestly, I, I don't know what happened to it, but I didn't touch it. He swore using Hashem's name. She basically swore that she, that, that she 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 didn't violate anything. She she doesn't know what happened to it. She didn't benefit. A few days later, it didn't go by a few days, and one of her children died. When the rabbis heard this, swore falsely, she swore unwittingly. She honestly didn't know. So the Gemara doesn't spell out, but really she took a real oath, all the ingredients of a real oath, Hashem's name. And, and uh, so the rabbis heard this story, they said, If she swore unwittingly, she thought she was telling the truth, her truth. She didn't know that she, she used the money. And nevertheless, this is the, what this was the punishment when her children died. If they swear falsely, Allah's kama kama. So we're gonna make, we're gonna allow her to swear. What if she's swearing falsely? You know what kind of danger and damage she's gonna bring on herself, on her family. The question is, why would she punish? What did she do wrong? She really, she was really innocent. She didn't know it was a mistake. 
swear, even if you swear the truth, it says the world trembles. You know, swearing is not a light thing. It's a very, uh, it's a very, very serious thing. And here he's saying she she swore falsely, unwittingly, and nevertheless she was punished. So imagine if he can allow her or give her the opportunity to swear falsely. So the rabbis, even though legally that's what she should do, they would they would avoid administering an oath. Why was she punished? She didn't lie. What did she swear? What was she swore? She didn't benefit. She didn't benefit. She did. She didn't benefit. She gave it to the poor person unwittingly. So she didn't benefit. She didn't lie. Why was she punished? So the mother says, no, she did benefit. The flower that she saved, the place of the dinner, was placed by the by the dinner. The flower was placed by the dinner. She saved herself. She had a benefit from it. It doesn't matter if it's a tiny benefit, a barely mentionable benefit. It doesn't matter. But she lied. She did benefit from this dinner. <laughs> wow, King Hashem's name. It's serious stuff. So the mother says, "What do you? So what does the rabbi mean? Am I She swore truthfully. Didn't swear for truthfully. She it said she didn't, she didn't benefit. Unwittingly, but it's not Emma's. Emma's means she said the truth. When she said she didn't benefit, she did benefit. The, the place she saved a little, a little flower. Meaning it's like she swore the truth. She was telling her truth. Her truth was 100%. She really thought she didn't have no clue. It was unwittingly. A person is not held accountable if he made an honest mistake. It's not their fault. How is your different Oh, here she was punished because she was negligent. You're negligent with someone else's money. It's a time of famine. The guy entrusted you with his life savings, a, a golden dinner. This is how negligent you are. You put it in a flower box and then you forget. And you use it and you bake it. You bake it and you give it. No, you gave it to Ducky. Wonderful. Oh, someone else's money. That's why she was punished. What, what kind of work? What, what do you mean? You put it in a, in a flower place and then you forget about it and you use it. I mean, I mean, come on, no excuses. Negligent about taking care of the money, knowing that it's going to lead to an oath. So she's negligent about. Okay, so she'll swear. You won't swear. She took the whole thing very lightly. In Judaism, there's no Robin Hoods in Judaism. See, it's very important. There are objective truths. There are objective standards. If you eat poison, objectively, you're going to die. It doesn't matter your intentions. Today in society, everything is intentions. But my intentions are noble. I'm so liberal. I'm so mm-hmm. kind. But you're murdering someone with your liberalism and kindness. It doesn't matter. I don't care about the other person. It's not about the other person. It's all about me. I'm so liberal. I'm so in Judaism, there's no subjective. Everything is objective. It's kosher. It's not kosher. Uh, the mother asks, that's the reason the rabbis would uh, avoid administering an oath to the widow. Why, why only a widow? I feel like Gurusha Nami. Even a divorcee comes to collect the ksuba from her ex-husband. You shouldn't allow her to swear. And we say she has to swear. She can't collect the ksuba from, the estate, from, from him, from the living husband. She has to swear that he didn't give her any money, she wasn't already paid, or she didn't forgive the ksuba. Out of town, let's say. The husband's out of town and she comes to collect from her husband's property so she swears and we give it to her the question is why for this reason we shouldn't administer any oath uh, you know if, you, if you're worried that she's going to swear falsely and look how severe it is to swear even if you swear the truth you think you're telling the truth look how severe it is how much more so if you swear falsely
So why would we allow it to swear? An oath lightly, this is what happens. So how much more so if you lie outright? So do you, and, and if you're going to say maybe, maybe you're right, maybe we don't administer an oath, even in the case of a divorcee, it's not true. Allah mal. Let's look. This is only in the case of a widow that we avoid administering an oath, but uh, swearing. But if it's a gurusha, she's divorced, a divorcee, we do uh, we do have her swear. So the mother answers, "I'm on a shine." A widow is different. Why? The reason is the reason why we avoid administering a shavua to swear. Because since she, she provides for the orphans, right? She's managing the affairs. She's the mother. The father has died. She's taking care of the whole household now. So therefore, she rationalizes. So I can swear falsely, but it's, it's fine. You know, it's coming to me. In other words, even though she was already paid the ksuva, she will rationalize. She say, listen, for all the effort that I put in and all the work that I put in, I'm entitled. That's a stretch. The mother rationalizes. I'm entitled. That's why we're worried. In the case of a gurusha, the husband is here. He's she. He's there. She's not. Uh, she's not the only one taking care of the children. So therefore, she doesn't want. But when the husband dies and she, the whole burden falls on her. She feels and she rationalizes. I can. I can swear falsely. I'm entitled to get the, the double ksuva or whatever. That's why we don't believe her. That's why they would avoid to administer an oath. It doesn't apply in the case of a divorce. This was only regarding something sworn in court. Outside the court, you wouldn't make a swear. Because in court, it's like a biblical oath. You hold a Torah scroll, another sacred object, you swear in the name of Hashem. That's very severe. That's like, you know, you're playing, you're playing with fire. This is in the Ten Commandments. Don't swear falsely. It's like right up there, the Third Commandment. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not playing games. But anything outside of the court, you don't hold a sacred object. You don't, you don't mention Hashem's name. You're just a curse. Uh, I'll be cursed if what I'm saying is untrue. So therefore, it's not as, uh, the punishment is not as severe. So the rabbis won't avoid having her take that swearing her outside of court. It's only inside of court. Because we're worried. Since she's going to rationalize it, you're going to swear falsely. It's, it's uh, holding a Torah, Hashem's name in court, and lying like that, swearing falsely. That's, 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 they would avoid that. It's not so over that. would never award a widow or ksuva on the property of the orphans. According to you, why? Yes, you don't administer a shavua. You don't allow her to swear inside the court, but let her swear outside the court. The question is, the Gemara is going to ask, well, didn't we learn now, Mishnah, there's, there's a way out, there's a, there's a roundabout? There's an alternative. Rabbi Gamaliel enacted, don't administer a shavu, administer an oath. Let her, swear, let her take an oath that she's going to prohibit something for the rest of her life. She'll never eat cake again for the rest of her life if, if, if she already collected it. And that's not a problem. Why did Rav never allow a woman, a widow, to collect a ksuva? He, yes, he didn't want to administer an oath, even outside the court. But there, there are other ways you can get her to verify. 
but but anyway, so right now we see that even doesn't matter inside the court, outside kasha. It's really yeah, it's difficult. This contradicts uh, what Rav Shmuel said. The Suda Masnach in Suda, they learned this the other way. They That's how we just learned in Suda. Rav Shmuel said that you only don't administer Shua inside the court, but outside the court you do. But in, in Narda, these were the two centers of learning in Babylonia and Iraq. In Narda, Masnohacha, they learned as follows. I'm Rabbi Udam Shmuel, it was in Shmuel. Leishon, Elabibazdin, Abachus, Lebazdin, Mashbinais. Yeah, that's what Shmuel holds. But Abama, Rav disagrees. No, this is an argument in Rav Shmuel. According to the Yeshiva of Suda, this is an argument. And Abama, Rav says, no, Abachus, Lebazdin, Namim, Mashbinais. Even outside the Bazdin. You don't, because the Rabbi Lutai made, the Rabbi Lutai Suleiman, the Rabbi himself. It's not so much a, the question was the Rabbi Lutai Suleiman, the Rabbi Lutai Suleiman, because Rabbi is contradicting himself. In Narda, they said that Rabbi agrees with Shmuel. They only administer Shavu, you don't administer Shavu inside Bezin, outside Bezin, we don't care. Rabbi himself never collected a Ksuva, never allowed a widow to collect a Ksuva. Rabbi himself didn't allow her to swear outside of the Bezin. But according to Suda, it makes sense. This is an argument in Rav Shmuel. Shmuel indeed holds that you could administer Shmuel outside the Bezdin. Rav disagrees. And like Rav, that's why Rav never allowed the widow to collect the Ksuva because he holds he can't even administer Shmuel outside of the Bezdin, even though it's less severe. We have the enactment on Amlil. Why did Rav never allow widow to collect the Ksuva? You can make her administer an oath. A nether that she should take upon herself that for the rest of her life something will be prohibited. In the times of Rav, vows were treated lightly by people. It wasn't uh, to violate a vow wasn't a big deal. It wasn't considered a serious offense. Everyone did it. Everyone I know uh, takes vows and, and doesn't keep it. How many people promise, if I can tell you how many people promise donations to the shul and they never come through? <laughs> the people take vows and a uh, big deal, which is a terrible thing. By the way, it's a prohibition in the Torah. You take a vow, especially to something holy, you have to keep it. It's in the times of Rav, people treated it very, very, very lightly. Yeah, I made a vow, it's a big deal. So therefore, that's why he avoid. That's why he never allowed a, a widow to collect uksuva, because he wouldn't rely on a vow. Because people would violate it. it. Doesn't mean anything. I'll take a vow and uh, I'll violate it. No, nothing. She wouldn't administer an oath. Wouldn't administer a shavua, swearing. So she can't collect uksuva. You might say, who does the come with Widow came before Afkan. Therefore, Afunam. Sorry, who came before Afunam? Allah, Afunam said to her, Mevidlah. What can I do for you? The Rav, who is Rav Huna's uh, teacher, he, he doesn't allow a widow to, to collect the ksuva from the property of the orphans. Our Malaysia said to him, Why is Rav policy? Because he's worried that maybe I already collected. I already collected my ksuva. I took something. I swear in Hashem's name. She swore. If I took any benefit from my ksuva, so says, We don't administer an oath. But if she went ahead and jumped and took the oath, uh, swore, she swore in Hashem's name, 
then we rely on that. We, we're hesitant to administer the Yavah. If she went ahead and did it on her own, then we rely on the Shavuah, and he gave her the Ksuvah. A widow came from Rabbi Ravuna, the Rabbi, the son of Ravuna. Um, he said to her, how can I help you? would not allow a widow to collect the Ksuvah, because she can't collect without swearing. And he didn't allow her to swear, or even to take an oath. Rabbi Mori, my dear father, Rabbi my dear father, wouldn't either lay Magbisulamarta with follow Rab, and he wouldn't. So I'm belay, happily At least give me, give me payment for my husband's estate. I can eat. It's also part of the obligation. Part of the Ksuva obligation is that that he has to sustain her while she's a widow until she gets married, remarried. He has to sustain her, take care of her food, her clothing, her lodging. He has to take, he has to take it. He doesn't, she doesn't throw it out of the house and becomes homeless. Mm-hmm. It's part of the Ksuva. So at least that you don't want to pay me the Ksuva, the payment, the two hundred zuz, the hundred zuz. Or the taisus, but at least, at least, I, I, I sustain me. Mm-hmm. I can't even give you that. I can't even give you support. Why? Whoever demands a ksuva payment doesn't have mezainus. It's one or the other. When it says, all the days of your widowhood in my house, I'm going to support you. It means if she, as long as she remains unmarried. But, but because she's still living under her husband's and her husband's household. But by demanding the ksuva, claiming the ksuva, she's saying she's ready to seek another husband. This is over. This marriage is over. I'm ready to move on. Marriage is over. You're ready to move on. You have no connection out of the house. I don't have to take care of you anymore. So now it's tough luck. Now you don't get the ksuva. <laughs> you lost everything. Nothing I can do to help you. She called out Rabbi Ravuna. Overturned his chair. She cursed him. He should die. Because she was bereft of everything. She lost her husband. She lost the ksuva. She lost her, her sustenance. She was on the streets, homeless. With no future, no present. And her past. Gone. Her husband died. So he says, let, let, you should die. Your chair should turn over. He has ruled for me in accordance with the stringencies of both views. Because according to Rav, I can't collect the Ksuvah. According to Shmuel, but according to Shmuel, if you follow Shmuel, Shmuel holds, I could collect the Ksuvah. You could administer an oath outside the Bezden. Shmuel. So he's following Rav, I can't collect the Ksuvah. But now that he tells me that I, I claim the Ksuvah, now you're following Shmuel who says I can't collect Mazaynas. <laughs> you're following all the stringencies and you're messing me up. So, hoping to ward off the curse, because the curse of a widow, Hashem listens to the widows, her heart is broken. So they turned over, they quickly overturned Rabbi Ravuna's chair and then straightened it out. They straightened it out. They didn't help. The curse was partially effective. Rabbi became sick. He became ill as a result of a curse. This is the anguish of a widow. When she comes to collect the ksuva, allow her to vow in court. But to swear, do it outside of court, like Shmuel. 
and let the word of your verdict come and fall upon my ears. We don't think about it. The Shmuel makes a distinction between. I, right, I have to, I have to know, I have to do, follow according to Shmuel. Only reason, only in the case of a, we really learned earlier, only in the case of a, uh, of a, a widow, which she rationalized swearing false. And even though she already got paid for the ksuva, she deserves to get paid again because of all the care, since she's carrying the burden of the family and, and, and it's an unpaid job. On the, so she deserves, so therefore she'll rationalize her swearing false. A divorcee, she's not going to rationalize her falsely. It's just a person would not, we don't have to be suspicious, a person is just going to swear falsely. Then you would never administer any of any swearing. We have swearing. <laughs> Throughout, throughout the legal system. It's only in this case. They wanted to make sure that the courts follow Shmuel's opinion, not Rav's opinion. Rav didn't allow the widows to collect the ksuva. There was checkmated. There was nothing they can do, which was a terrible situation. And if they come to demand the ksuva, they're going to lose everything, even their sustenance. So he says, I want you to follow Shmuel, that uh, in court you can administer an oath, and she'll prohibit something for herself. No, for, for a widow. Outside of court, you can minister a shavua. And I want you to uh, people should hear about it. I want it to be public knowledge that there's a rabbi, a legal, a great legal authority who's following Shmuel's opinion, who's actually doing what Shmuel says. So uh, all the widows will know to go, go to this court who's, who's, doing the, who, you know, who's doing the right thing by them. You're afraid she's going to swear falsely? Fine, so let her swear outside the court. You're afraid she's going to swear falsely? Administer an oath. Not the same. Not as severe. Okay, Gufa, now he quotes what he said earlier. But a wid- uh, only in a widow don't we administer a shavuah, but uh, a, a, a divorcee we do. A grusha who takes an oath is not cannot collect the She must swear. But they send from there, from Israel to Babylonia. They send a court document stating that that the so and so, the daughter of so and so. Kabila's gita minyada the achabar hedia received the get from the hand of a husband acha the son of hedia the miskariye remember we learned yesterday you have to say the miskariye ayimari who also has another name the primary name was acha son of hedia but he also had another name ayabar mari and she took a vow she's going to prohibit all the fruits of the world for the rest of her life. If she's t- not telling the truth that she never collect, never forgave the ksuva, never collected the ksuva, if she had received from her husband monies more than one coat, one coat she got. That's it. The sefer tilim echot. She got the sefer tilim, a tilim scroll. The sefer tilim, the scroll of Eve. Umem shalis and proverbs beluyim. That was worn. worn. Well, she got a partial payment for the ksuva. So she swore that's all she got. She admits that she got a partial payment. 
She got a partial payment, which was, she was able to buy a coat. Yeah. Able to buy, she wanted to tell him. Right? Say till him, very important. Every day say till him. The book of Job. The Memshalas are proverbs, a marshal from King Solomon. But Beluyim, that was worn. She bought, she bought a used copy. So therefore, she's taking an oath and she wants the rest of it. And we examine the items as being worth five mana. So this document from the court in Israel said, when she comes before you in Babylonia, the other court in Babylonia, award her the rest of her, say, I don't know if she was a widow, or if, 100, if it's 100, then she gets 95. If the Ksuba was 200, she gets 195. So, so we see that you can even administer, no, doesn't say they administer Shavuah. Some Rabashi, Rabashi says, no, you have to administer Shavuah. Oh, get Yivamin That get was a get, a Yavam's get. The get of a Yavam. So she was collecting the Ksuvah of her first husband. The husband who died, she was a widow. The husband died childless. One of the brothers either had to marry her, right, to do yibum or do chalitza. If she does yibum, then she becomes the surviving brother's wife, full-fledged wife. And it's a continuation of the original marriage. So she's not entitled for any ksuva payment from the new husband. It's a continuation of the previous. If she does a chalitza, <coughs> then she collects the ksuva from the estate of the deceased husband. So what happened was that Achabar Hidya was one of the brothers-in-law. She was a, he was a surviving brother. And he gave her a get instead of a yibum. Which is wrong. I mean, a get, either yibum or chalitza. A get doesn't work. She's not your husband. She's not your wife. She's your brother's wife. Yet it's a continuation of the marriage and you have to either marry her so from a biblical point of view, a get is, is meaningless. But the rabbi said that if you give a get, then none of the brothers can do yibum anymore. She has to get a chalitza. And she gets a chalitza. So that's what it means a get. It was a get of a yabba. And she gets a chalitza. And, but she, who does she collect? She's a widow. Who does she collect from? From the state of her husband. So therefore, we couldn't administer shavuah. The only thing we can do is administer an oath. Or according to Shmuel, administer Shmuel outside the court, but this was in the court. So instead, they did what Rabbi Gamliel's enactment that you administer an oath. She swore, forswore, she's not going to eat any fruits if she lied. And she admitted, these items I did collect, I got a partial payment, which comes out to five months, and the rest I need to collect. Okay, it says in the Mishnah, he's going to have to do this, and that is enacted, she should take a note. This is only true. If the widow did not remarry, Avonis says she remarried, she can't collect the ksuva on the basis of a vow. Why? This is my time. Why, if she gets remarried, can't she collect the ksuva? She's entitled to the ksuva. Because the Mayfala Baal is not going to help. Well, what's it going to help if she swears? The husband has the power to nullify all of her vows. So she can swear from today till tomorrow. It doesn't prove anything. I can swear whatever you want. I, I'm never going to eat again the rest of my life. 
doesn't mean she's telling the truth because she knows that the husband is going to nullify her vow so she can go ahead and eat. She's not prohibiting anything on her. It has no effect. It has no power. The power is if she swears, taking an oath, that she's never going to do this for the rest of her life. She must be telling the truth. Otherwise, she's taking an oath. Here, she's not prohibiting herself from anything. The husband will come and, and, and nullify the vow. Even if she's not remarried, when she later remarries, her husband can revoke the vow. So again, she won't be stuck. So why does, how does the vow prove anything? She's telling the truth. She's not afraid of the vow. Because she'll marry. She's marrying tomorrow and the husband will revoke the vow. But it says, because a husband cannot nullify vows that she made before they got married. You can only nullify vows that she made under him when she was married to him. She always has another out. She can go to a Chacham, right? We learned the whole tract in the Dharam. She can undo the vow as if it never happened. So how could you rely on the vow? She'll, she'll vow whatever you want and she'll go and, 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 and undo the vow. If she regrets taking the vow, she realizes the consequences. And had she known that, she would never have, to have taken the vow in the first place. So Kesava, you want to say, Ravuna hold, Kesava, Tzara, Lefara, Tzaned. When you petition the sage to annul the vow, you have to spell it out. So she's going to tell her what happened. That he made the, she made the vow based on that to 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 strength to clarify and strengthen her claim that she's telling the truth. She never accepted exuva, and to back up her claim, she took a vow. She's telling a lie. She'll never ever eat fruits for the rest of her life. And the rabbi will hear that. And like, I'm not going to know. I'm not going to clarify. Not nullify your vow then then you lied. And if you didn't. If you told the truth, you have nothing to worry about. If you never ever collected the ksuva before, and the ksuva is rightfully yours, go ahead and eat all the fruits you want. Mm-hmm. See, why are you asking me to nullify your vow? Right, right, Unless right, you right. lied. Right. And indeed, you are prohibited from eating fruits the rest of your life. And then you want me to undo that? <laughs> Not happening. Not on my watch. Nachman answers, I feel Nachman says no. Nachman argues. Even if she's married, she can take an oath. Fact why? And this is vadi mefil abal. What do you mean? Uh, and how, how does the oath prove anything? She knows that the husband could 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 uh, nullify it for her. She can lie. She can say she never collected the ksuva when indeed she did. And even though she made an oath prohibiting on herself all the fruits in the world, what's the problem? The husband will nullify it. So the mother answers the madin We make her vow in public. The presence of ten people. If Nachman holds that a public vow, if a woman makes a public vow, cannot be revoked by the husband. So even if she's remarried, we have an option. Make a vow in public. Ravuna holds, Ravuna argues, Ravuna holds that even a vow in public, the husband could revoke it. So therefore he says, if she's married, if she remarried already, taking a vow is not an option. It won't help. It's not effective. It doesn't prove anything. Because the husband will come and nullify it. 
mother challenges Ravun, who says that if she remarried, she can't take a oath. Nisa, it says in the Brais and Nisa, if the widow remarried, another says clearly in the Brais she could collect the Ksuva if she takes a vow, because the vow verifies the authenticity of a statement. If she's lying, if she's, if she's not entitled to the Ksuva, she'll become prohibited for fruits, let's say, for the rest of her life. My love, another Hashta. Surely what the Brais means is that she swears now, after she married. See, the mother says, after she remarried, she took an oath. In other words, she came to court to collect the ksuva, 35b. She came to court to collect the ksuva after she remarried. See, the mother says, Loy, no. The b'raisa means, Avonah will tell you, the b'raisa means, another make She vowed before she remarried. Im nadra, if she vowed before she got married, because even though she remarried, the husband can't nullify the vow that she made before she was married to him. So therefore the vow is effective and the vow proves that she's telling the truth. If not, she will be prohibited from eating fruits the rest of her life. We learned the Braise and Nisus, clearly, the Braise speaks very clearly. When she remarries, she makes a vow. Noideris means now. She's making the vow now after she remarries. And based on that vow, why? According to Rav Nachman, according to Rav Huna, you can't collect the ksuva because the husband can nullify it. The mother says, you're right. Rav Huna will tell you, Tanoi, Rav Huna will tell you that his opinion is not unanimous. It's an argument of Tanoi. What's the argument? Like we said earlier, whether there is an option of making her take an oath in front of a minion, in front of ten people. So the Braise that says she can take an oath even after she remarries holds the Braise holds that she can't, she can't, this Braise holds that she can't nullify a vow. The husband can't nullify a vow that's taken in front of ten, which strengthens the vow. So therefore, even after she remarries, she can take a vow. We always have the option of making her take the vow in front of ten people. And then the husband can't nullify it, so therefore she must be telling the truth. Otherwise she'll be prohibited for the rest of her life from eating fruits. But the, the, but the other Baraisa says, says, we hold, but there is, a, there is an opinion, it holds, that you could, Abhun himself holds. And he interprets the other Baraisa that no, she could, even a, a, an oath that the wife takes in front of ten people, the husband could, could nullify it. And therefore, therefore it's, not, it's not an option once she remarries, not an option for her to take an oath after she remarries. When you petition a sage and all vow, do you have to tell him all the circumstances of the original vow or not? says you don't have to detail. says you don't have to detail. My papa says, you do. You don't have to tell the rabbi the circumstances of the vow. If you're going to say, you have to detail Zimnan, the guy is of the booty. Sometimes he will cut off, he will cut short his account. He's going to omit some details. And the wise one will only revoke based on what he hears. 
because then it's false, false pretense. If you don't tell me anything is better, then you tell me partial. You tell me as if you're telling me as if you're telling me, and then based on what you told me, the chacham will release the nether. But you missed out some details. If the chacham would have known that, he would have never have released you. Mm-hmm. So it turns out the whole thing was a false assumption. So it's not it's not a legally valid uh, release. That's why you hold that better don't say anything. You don't have to. That papa you have to. Why, Maybe, maybe the vow was taken like an hour case. The widow took a vow to, to prove that she's telling the truth. So if the wise one knows that the, she took a vow to prove she's telling the truth, he would never release the vow. <laughs> How could he release the vow? The mother challenges Rabbi Nachman who says that you don't have to specify the details, the circumstances in which you made the vow. Now, and we learned in a Mishnah, we learned in Tractate Pachedes, Hanois in Nashim Barbeda, married, marries a woman in sin, let's say marries a divorced woman. What are we looking at? So, so if he marries. Nashim Rabbeinu Apostle, he's disqualified from doing the priestly service in the Beis Hamid. He can't. We don't allow him to do offer the sacrifices. Even before he gives a divorce, if he takes an oath that he's going to divorce her and he's not going to live with her anymore, then he's allowed to do the service. Tani Allah, we learned a Beraisa and that Mishnah. He can take an oath immediately do the service in the base of English and then when he finishes doing the service then he goes out and, and gives her a get you don't have to wait for him to give the get you can f- finish the service even though he didn't yet divorce her because he already made an oath that he's going to divorce so if he amrit if you're going to say that he doesn't have to give the circumstances he'll go to a wise one he'll, release, he'll do the service he'll go to a wise one and release himself of the oath what does it help? The oath doesn't tell me anything, doesn't help me. It doesn't mean he committed to the worser. Maybe he didn't commit to the worser. He took an oath, he did the service, and then he's going, he's going, he's going to go and tell the rabbi to release the oath as if he never made an oath. He's not going to divorce her. So the Gemara answers, we continue in 36. We make the koyin make a vow in public. If you make in public... A vow in public, then the koyin cannot cannot nullify. We learn an opinion that says that if it's done in public, if a wife makes an oath in public, the husband can nullify it. Here we're saying that if it's done in public, even the wise one cannot 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 nullify it. Cannot nullify the. Everyone have a good day, everyone. We'll, we'll continue. We continue tomorrow. Yeah,